In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Of all the things that Jesus said, this conversation from Luke 13 and the parable that follows is not at the top of Jesus' quotable quotes. In fact, at first glance, it looks like awfully bad news. Two awful disasters involving deaths and a bad tree that is given a last-minute reprieve, but the axe is still looming. And as usual, those who read this think, this is bad news. But in fact, it is very good news. And even though these verses are given little attention by most, they deal with very important questions that all of us struggle with. How does God deal with the world? What determines God's disposition towards us as Christians? And what is God's verdict and response when our lives are judged? These two awful events that occurred around Jerusalem, the murder of the Galileans and the falling of the Tower of Siloam, those who were talking to Jesus that day, many were probably eyewitnesses of what happened. They were there when the tower fell, and they had just left the temple complex before Pilate sent in his men to kill these Galileans. And yet, though they missed it by seconds, they were spared while others died. And the prevailing notion of the day was that good things happened to good people and bad things happened to bad people. And so the common supposition was they died because they were worse sinners than I am. The common misconception that when bad things happen in life, it's because you've been really bad. The worse sinner you are, the more God will send things into your life to punish you. Now we may say this morning that today in the 21st century, no one thinks like that. Really? The New York Times bestseller, millions and millions of copies, why bad things happen to good people. Now there's a lot that could be said about the content of the book for various reasons and lots of sermons, but suffice it to say this morning that the title says a lot and why it was such a big seller and why it continues to be a big seller. Because one, most of us think that we're good, and two, we think we're not getting what we deserve in life. How many of us think, just this once, Lord, let it go my way? Or, when a co-worker gets a promotion over you, you think... I deserve it a little more than they did. Superior character equals superior circumstances. I'm always fascinated by Facebook of the propensity of people who otherwise are very mature, believing Christians that put their lives up there for uh, some 13-year-old in Korea to see. And they put everything up there. And so recently I've been amazed by Christians who have posted the following things about their life. Quote, One child on crutches... The other with pneumonia. Come on, Lord. Couldn't we just get a break here? Or this one. Quote, the names have been changed. 
While in the middle of our prayers tonight, Jimmy said, Mommy, this praying is hard work. Well, my sweet little son, there is no greater reward in the world than answered prayers. So I promise your hard work will certainly pay off. Smiley face. And the comments that followed, so sweet, adorable, good answer. Is it a good answer? Will Jimmy's hard work pay off? If he just prays really hard and is intentional, will God grant him his prayers? What is it that makes us think that God's love for the Christian believer is rooted in action consequence? That is, if I behave, God will love me and bless me. If I misbehave, a tower will fall on me. Because at some level, people think that God owes them. And Jesus answers his questioners with no. I tell you, you will all likewise perish unless you repent. What is Jesus saying? Well, he's saying that God's love and favor toward his people is not merited. And when bad things happen, it is not because of God's displeasure toward you. Now, I could preach a thousand sermons about that topic, but suffice it to say, the fact that evil is not punished here and now does not mean that God approves of what sinners are doing. It means that to the end, God is merciful. But two, Jesus says, repent. Jesus is not saying that failure to repent would precipitate a similar demise for his listeners. He's saying, repent while you can. Do not wait as you do not know the hour of your death. Jesus is saying, in life, when bad things happen, repent. When good things happen, repent. When unexpected things happen, repent. When mundane things happen, repent. When change happens, repent. When normalcy happens, repent. No matter what happens in life, don't compare. Repent. Now, I preached a sermon a while back on repentance. But this morning, know that repentance means to have your mind changed. It's not attrition. It's not guilt. Although those things come with repentance. But primarily is that you were headed in one direction. God intervened in your life. He took the blinders off your eyes. And you turned when you saw things as they really are. You saw yourself as you really were broken and sinful. And you saw Jesus as he really is. A mighty savior. Your only hope. Which brings us to Jesus' parable of the fig tree, where he brings it full circle. You know, Christianity brings about and encourages a deep sense of self awareness in believers. And if you're a Christian, if you've experienced God intervening in your life, taking the blinders off, and you turning by the intervention of his Holy Spirit, If you're that person and you hear this parable this morning, you ought to think, 
I'm going to get chopped down. I'm that fig tree. Now, whether you're a Christian or not, life is a terrible taskmaster. And I find that life is convicting enough and already shows me that I don't measure up. That I don't get what I want to get done, done. That I'm not the person that I want to be. And all of us at some point in our lives have looked in the mirror and wished that we were somebody different. Or somebody else. That we weren't who we were. And we longed for change. And even beyond that, the most simple and mundane things of life. I'm not old, but I'm at that point in life where I'm supposed to go in for an annual physical. And, uh, you know, about a month beforehand, I think, now he's going to ask me questions. Do you smoke? I'm okay there. Uh, uh, do you exercise weekly? Now, I would love for him to say, do you exercise every six months? Because that's kind of a curve and we can get in. Uh, and so a month before, I think, I know he's going to answer that, ask that question. So you know what? I'm, I'm going to start working out. I'm going, to, I'm going to make it happen so that when I show up, it's not really a lie. Uh, but then, you know what happens? The month goes by. Nothing. Nothing happens. And then I get in there and he asks me, Andrew, do, do, do you work out weekly? And I do what anybody else does. I lie. And I say, oh, yeah, I'm on the treadmill. I, I bought a blow, Bowflex. I'm, I'm working it. Everything's really great. Uh, when, in fact, uh, even something as simple as that, the doctor asked me a question, do you work out weekly? And I already know I'm a failure. And even in the church, we all have people in our lives, brothers and sisters, who I like to call fruit inspectors who like to look at our lives and wonder and try to judge the fruit. Now, you don't know anybody like that, uh, but there are lots in my life and I'm willing to lend them out. And I'm sure, I'm sure that they look at my life and say, your fruit's not as good as it could be, Andrew. You know, it's, it's a little barren. Um, you're not producing as much as I would expect as a Christian, especially as a minister. But if we're honest with ourselves... If God has brought about repentance in your life, my life, we know that God's disposition toward us, we know that if God's disposition toward us is based upon our ability to produce fruit in our lives, we will get the axe. Indeed, we have come to realize that we actually deserve to have a tower fall on us. But in that despair, in the bracing before the axe is laid to the root, a vine dresser steps in. And we've been given a reprieve. One more year. I'll fertilize, I'll work it, then we'll come back and we'll see how things went. Now, at this point, we might like to believe, okay, I've been given a reprieve. I now have one year to start getting some fruit on these branches. This is the year for me. The year of the fruit. But we know how this story ends. A year goes by. We look at ourselves. We look at our branches. It doesn't seem like much has changed. And what we miss is that this story is left open-ended. Jesus the vine dresser says, 
Let's revisit this in another year. And then we will judge whether to cut it down or not. Though he leaves it open-ended, the Gospels give us the rest of the story. Because we know that when the judgment comes, and that year goes by, and the axe is ready to be laid to the root, Jesus the vine dresser is cut down so that we might live. You see, repentance is not about attrition, but is one acknowledging your fruitlessness, but also knowing the cost of what brought you back. This is the Christian life. All of life is repentance, as Martin Luther said. In the midst of this broken world filled with broken lives, God doesn't owe us a thing. In fact, if we've earned anything, it's death. But do you see that anyone who comes to Him, who is weary and heavy laden, who knows that they are fruitless, who knows that they are broken, He will in no wise cast out. And His saving embrace comes at a great cost. Himself. Jesus, the compassionate vine dresser, is cut down so that we might live. Let us pray. Lord, give us repentant hearts that we might believe in the glorious message of your gospel. Help us in our unbelief. In the saving name of Jesus, amen.